Hey everyone, this is Charlie Shrem, and you're listening to Untold Stories. This is a show where we dive deep into the lives and personal histories of some of crypto's most influential leaders and find out how the crypto movement truly came to be. Let's dive in. What an amazing episode I had for you today. Judd McCaleb, a good friend of mine, the founder of Mount Gox, the founder of eDonkey, one of the founders of Ripple, the founder of Stellar, and just a personally good friend and a great guy. We got into some really philosophical discussions, high level, um, definitely going to blow your mind because my mind got blown. So you know who I am. I'm Charlie Schramm. Enjoy Untold Stories. Untold Stories wouldn't be here without the amazing production company, Blockworks Group. A few months ago, I approached Blockworks Group and I said, hey guys, I want to do a show, Untold Stories. Can we make it happen? And these guys are the only event and podcast production company that I trust. Really, the show is powered by them and it wouldn't be here today without the amazing work of the Blockworks Group team. So for access to all the premier digital asset conferences and to check out their other podcasts in their network that they produce, check them out at blockworksgroup.io. That's blockworksgroup.io. I promise you will not be disappointed. Jen McCaleb, it's been so long. Welcome to Untold Stories. Yeah, thanks for having me. So what I try to what I try to like kind of do it, you know, especially when I'm friends with the guest already is I go back and I look at old emails and I and I just kind of go back down memory lane and I there were so many there were just so many emails that uh, you and I are part of. There was one where like Tony Gallippi from BitPay was trying to get us to go to a music festival in Orlando or something. <laughs> Meet you and Roger and then and then I remember like my my favorite memory, one of my favorite memories uh, was at that Money Show conference back in like 2012 or 2011, was it? Uh-huh. And uh, you were there in your sweatpants and you were running the, the booth and we were right next to PayPal. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that was, uh, those were good times. Yeah. And Roger and Eric was there and it was just, it was just so much fun. Um, and we can go down memory lane and talk about some crazy stories, but really, um, like you and a few others in this space, you're not content with like what you've done. Uh, and I'm talking about people like Charles Hodgkinson or Dan Larimer. It's like you guys just continue wanting to architect these new protocols. What, what does that drive for you? I mean, just, just the things that you're involved in the space and Mount Gox and Ripple and, and that's stellar. It's like, will there be something else? Are you, are you satisfied with your legacy in the space? Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't think I'll start another crypto project. In fact, I, I, I would be shocked for the new one if I did. Um, I'm tired. Yeah. <laughs> I'm tired. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think we will definitely continue to iterate on Stellar and there's lots of improvements that we want to make there and like lots of things that we're working on. But right now it has, it ha- I think it has the base of what I would want out of a protocol and um, we can just grow from there. Um, I, I mean, I think in general, um, I, I do always seek to kind of like improve things and, and, and make things better. I mean, that's kind of been, that's kind of a programming mindset, yeah. I think. Um, you know, you just like see problems and, and you want to like see how you can fix them. And there's, you know, there's sort of a infinite stream of problems, but the cool thing is there's an infinite stream of solutions that you can kind of like keep working to make things better. And that's just kind of always been my, my deal. So. And making things better, how? Like making the world a better place or making, making the protocol better? 
Yeah, I mean, ultimately, you know, by making the protocol better, you're making the world better, hopefully, if it's actually useful for people, right? I mean, our, our goal has always been to make something that's useful for people. Um, and yeah, I mean, that, that to me is like making things better is, is, is you know, essentially, you know, at the end of the day, you're, you're, you're making people's lives better and improving like the overall quality of life on, on the planet, right? So that, that's kind of what you want to achieve, so. Take us back, um, take us back starting your, your whole story, uh, you know, uh, starting from like the IRC e-donkey days. Take us back to all that, you know, how you got started in the world of, of the internet and yeah. some of those first things that you created for yourself that ended up being used by a lot of other people. Yeah, so um, let's see. Um, yeah, I mean, I started programming like before the internet. So I've been programming since I was, uh, I don't know, like 12 or something like that, 11. Um, and yeah, uh, when I first learned about the internet, it was it was very confusing and, and, and a little bit scary. But eventually I got used to it. And uh, yeah, and then eventually made this thing, Edonk, which is a file sharing network. Um, and and that was, again, this, this side of sense of uh, improvement. I saw Napster. Um, and Napster had an obvious had, had a lot of like obvious flaws. To anyone who programmed uh, and and Edonkey was kind of an attempt to fix those and, and make it a much better system, make it useful for like lots of different kinds of files and yeah. and like you know hash the files so you knew that you got the exact file that you tried to download in the first. Well, place. so wait, so, walk me through that. Why was that important at the time, and what year was this? Uh, this was ninety eight, ninety nine, somewhere in there, um, and uh, it, it was. Uh, it was just obviously a very awesome idea that you could you could like download this stuff from like random people all over the internet rather than this like central place and it was it was sort of again like one of the appeals to me was it was sort of a, a leveling of the playing field and like opening up information to lots of different players where you wouldn't really have to necessarily be a publisher to get your uh, you know your stuff out there your music or your movies or whatever out there in the world you could just you could just go get it you could you could get it directly to people right and this is. I mean, the internet itself was fairly nascent back then. I mean, it was um, just starting to boom, like it wasn't as widespread as it is now. You know, things like YouTube didn't exist. And, and so, uh, or Netflix or anything like that, like Wikipedia didn't even exist then, I don't think. Um, and uh, everything you've just mentioned, though, draws its roots from the peer to peer kind of file sharing days. And that's kind of what I'm getting at. And I had a very similar conversation with Bram from BitTorrent. Um, and, and I want to get your, you know, your feedback on this because someone was like, like what you just talked about, you, you threw it out there and for you, it's like, whatever, but someone like me, that's a big deal. You talked about, you know, hashing the file. So you know what you downloaded. That was such, it's such a big deal. Uh, and it was so important because what you just said and what, what was, you know, I was a young, I was a kid. And so I was using Udonkey, LimeWire, Napster, um, and learning the whole file sharing world. And I remember like you'd get letters from your cable company saying like, we know what you're doing, you know, but it would all go to our dads or whatever. Cause yeah, our dads were on our accounts. But, um, a lot of those early things that were like nascent, uh, I don't even know if I'm pronouncing that right. Ended up being like the roots of the things that we know today, even the, like Spotify and Bitcoin are all based off of some of those early technologies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it was, it was, uh, that's to say like it was a big shift in kind of the mindset of, of, how, how um, the world could work. Basically, it was like this big decentralization um, force, right, which was super appealing to me. And it's kind of, again, like a leveling of the playing field and kind of like uh, like lowering these concentrations of power, which I think is ultimately always good for society um, when people can kind of go more peer-to-peer. -peer. And so it was, it was also just a really cool system to work on because 
unlike a static program that just runs in one place, it was much more like this organic beast where, you know, it, it, you have this whole network that's kind of interacting and stuff. So it was a really cool problem. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of like, yeah, like you mentioned, like Bram, like a lot of a lot of the people in file sharing have like moved into the cryptocurrency world because it has like some of the similar kind of feel and, and some of the similar appeal. Um, Bram gave me an interesting analogy, uh, but I'm going to expand on it. So, I'm, you know, but essentially, if you look at how file sharing really, really file sharing and credit cards really push forward the Internet, um, uh, all types of files, because it was information, right? Whether it was audio, video, you know, ebooks, it was just information. Then for a while, it wasn't really a thing, you know, like it didn't matter much. Um, what I mean by that is the Netflix, the Spotify, the Apple Music, you know, all the technology. It took maybe another 10 or 20 years. It was kind of a gap. It didn't happen until the iPhone, you know, the mid 2000s. That wasn't a thing. So the parallel is, John, is like you look at the early days of Bitcoin and you look at why were people using Bitcoin in the early days? And then you, and you look at, like, what is going on now is great and everything. But then you almost wonder, like, well, those early ideas, those early people who were using Bitcoin for, you know, great things but also nefarious things, can we take the roots out of that and uh, that's how we'll use, like, crypto down the road? Yeah, I mean, that, that's the hope. I mean, again, it's like this, it's this way to kind of, um, you know, before something like Bitcoin, like, all money had to be centralized, right? There had to be either a government or, or something like PayPal that, that everything routed through, right? And and the beauty of it, as you know, probably everyone listening to your show knows, is that like now you don't have to do that. You can go point to point. Like if I have Bitcoin, I can send it to you and no one really has to know about it or can stop it or do anything about it. And and this should enable all kinds of things. And and yeah, I, I agree. I think like a lot of the early ideas that people wanted to build and like a lot of the excitement around it, we still haven't really seen a lot of that come to fruition yet, right? Like it takes um, – People are putting it in waves. They're like, it's the wave of DeFi now and all these different things. I don't, I don't know if I agree with that, though. Yeah. I, I mean, there's definitely waves of, like, hype and, like, popularity of things. Like, people yeah. do these phases of where, you know, everyone's talking about stable coins now, like, things like that. Like, um, but but I mean, in terms of, like, what people are actually going to use this stuff in the world, I mean, the actual use of any of these cryptocurrencies is beyond speculation. is pretty low. Um, and... I think it just turns out it's very hard to build these networks and it's just, it takes a long time and, and we're getting there, but, but it's, but uh, there's a lot of things that have to be in place before it actually becomes useful, becomes something like Spotify, but, but in crypto world. Right. So, um, but, but I, I still do think that we'll get there. It just, it just takes a lot of UI work. Right? Well, I mean, you look at, it does take a lot of UI work and we've come a long way. Just look at like, dude, I, could you imagine a world you know, when you were registering Magic the Gathering online exchange website, do you imagine a world that now we'd have derivatives and future exchanges vying for market share in our industry? Like, it's the big boys now for exchanges. Yeah. Yeah, no, it, it's it's kind of amazing. The, the whole thing is, was amazing to watch, like, go from, you know, just this really nascent group of, like, 2,000 people on Bitcoin Talk to what it is now. Has anyone run the numbers? I would love to see the stats of like the Bitcoin talk user, active user accounts during those years. I mean, I kind of looked at, I, I looked, uh, I looked at it um, a few years ago just to kind of see, you know, how, how big it was when I, when I signed up, things like that. It was basically before that I learned about Bitcoin through this slash dot article before that, I think there was like 200 people on Bitcoin talk. After yeah. You and Garzik. There was, there was like 2000. So, and then there was like, and then it kind of just grew from there. Um, but yeah, 
probably somebody has grabbed it. It's pretty interesting. Someone, I'm looking now. There's got to be a way to look at the full stats and analysis. Someone, some here you go. Okay, boom. Um, you ready? The grand total in 2011 was less than 10,000 active accounts. Less right. 10,000 accounts. Yeah, and that was probably the end of 2011. So, yeah. Yeah, it actually it was. Yeah, so middle of 2011, it was less than 5,000. Right, right. So I was, I was that first 5,000 wave early 2011. Wow, I, didn't, I never put a number on it. Yeah. Now, well, 2018. Then, yeah, especially back then, like anybody who knew about Bitcoin probably had an account on that forum, so. Oh, cool. This is, oh, this is so cool. So in 2011, how many legendary users? I became a legendary user in 2012. What's so, user? You just I don't know. It was just user. It was stupid. <laughs> so the early forums was so dumb because, not dumb. We, it was, it was very, um, like we kind of like, we were all adults and then we all like jumped into this forum thing and we're like, just like bickering and fighting. And <laughs> yeah, it's a way to be a child. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was still, it was still a lot of fun. Um, I want to, I want to talk to you because there aren't a lot of people who, may, who maybe share the same, um, uh, philosophy of me. So I have this kind of philosophy that I push on all my guests and I don't know if some people agree, some just dis some disagree and you could probably assume who agrees and who disagrees. So I believe that, you know, and this is kind of like how morally and ethically and through my capitalistic needs and wants approach this industry, um, is that every project, every coin, every token exists on a spectrum of decentralization. A lot of projects choose where they want to be on that spectrum. A lot of projects say we're going to, you know, for example, Tezos or whatever can say, um, I want to, you know, give up consensus for better immutability, or I want to, you know, like it's a lever system. So I see everything as like experimentation. Um, I mean, how do you feel before I get into it? Like, how do you feel about that from an outset? Like just, um, yeah, that's true. I mean, obviously decentralization is a spectrum and you can be more or less decentralized. It's not, it's not a binary thing. And there's always trade-offs for these different aspects of it. So. Where do you, so where do you, your perfect cryptocurrency, where does, in your philosophy, where does that fall on that spectrum? Are you, did my lights just turn off? They did. Um, I guess no one knows I'm here. I, I'm, I, I ask because I like to learn. So I'm, I'm asking, like, is your personal philosophy that all cryptocurrencies need to be like Bitcoin on a full decentralization and no governance is the best governance? Or are you more, you know, like you're one of the founders of Ripple and that's a whole different, you know, a completely opposite end of the spectrum. Does that change for you? Are you still believe? Oh, the lights just turned back on. Do you still believe all? You know, where do you fall now? Um, so, so, I think. I mean, it's a little complicated. I mean, I, I think you want the, the protocol to be as decentralized as possible, and uh, the like. The more decentralized it is, the better. But but it also has to work, and it also has to has to be able to make progress, and it has to be able to um, be it's efficient. A trade -off. You know, so like, so there are certain trade offs where being like even. Bitcoin is not as perfectly decentralized as it could be. Like that, you can imagine a world where it's even more decentralized than Bitcoin is, right? But 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 there but the protocol at the end of the day has to work. You have to have a way of like coming to consensus, and and that's they use mining, right? And so um, and so that has certain trade-offs for other things that you can possibly use. So um, in terms of governance, I mean, I think uh, the, the the weird thing is ultimately all of them, or, or all the ones that are open source, at least. Um, are forkable, right? So the governance is never like absolute, right? You could always just say like, yeah, good point. 
you can always just be like, okay, we don't really like the way this is going. Like this cable of people that that decided to to take it one direction, we're just going to do, do a different thing. Yeah, but there is like a uh, a mass market effect, you know. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's hard to do in practice, and, and you need a lot of momentum. I mean, but we've seen it happen in other in things, right? So yeah, it's not possible. Well, it's actually a good thing in a way because it prevents, you know, it prevents. It allows people to work together on creating a solution for the common goal instead of just forking off, forking off, forking off. Right. And until you get to a point where it's like you simply can't agree, we saw Bitcoin Cash, you know, right. Bitcoin. Listen, the Bitcoin Cash, BSV, Bitcoin will be, if anything, something that is studied in history books of of social interaction. You know, what does it mean to fork off, right? <laughs> yeah. Fork off. Fork off, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, the whole thing is, is kind of a wild experiment. It's like, uh, I don't know, it, it's sort of the same dynamics that have been playing out on the internet, just like it, like socially for a long time, but it's made, it's made in this weird monetary realm. It's, it's pretty bizarre. So, <laughs> so I've, I, I try to look at, um, you know, I try to look at common denominators and parallels in the different projects that you're involved in. Um, and so what I've noticed is that with ripple, it seemed like, you know, just from talking to you in those days, I remember, Arthur, um, and I miss Arthur, and I talk about Arthur. Actually, I messaged him the other day, um, like a month or two ago. Um, I remember uh, all, when you had first, uh, when I had first understood Ripple, and you first explained it to me, I understood it as this, is a way for people to extend social credit to each other. Uh, so it seemed like, and that was like how I first kind of got it, when I mean, Chris came in and he was able to expand yeah. on it. Um, do you, so that focuses on like the person. Is Stellar more focused on 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 uh, corporations and companies and banks and uh, working together at a protocol level? And you think Ripple is more like person to person? Oh, uh, well, I, I think Ripple is actually more focused on replacing like Swift, essentially. Uh, but but Stellar is it's basically the main thing is interoperability, right? Like I think the fact that anyone you could do this social credit on on, on yeah. Stellar. But but it, it, I think it's hard to do in practice because it's really changing the behavior of people. So I think maybe that'll come down the line. But but the first thing that I think it's very useful for is just this interoperability story, where it's like you you have uh, right now the the way payments work in the world, it's it's very much pre-internet. Like none of these things, none of these systems talk to each other. Like ACH doesn't talk to Mpesa, the mobile money thing in Kenya, things like that, right? But but Stellar gives them a way to do this, where where they can they can. Uh, Basically, it doesn't matter what financial institution you're using or what kind of currency you're using. All these things just can interoperate uh, seamlessly, right? And that's kind of the beauty of it. But that's like, that's like the last, you know, that's like step 20. If I was talking to you, I'd say, Jed, you're like going from step one or step two to step 20 because what you just described and what your goal for Stellar is, is literally like almost for me, the, the end all be all of, of financial products is a way for anyone to have a financial product anywhere in the world and to plug into the global financial product ecosystem. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is step 20 to get everyone on board, but it's not, it, it is actually very near term and it's already happening on the network where it's in these like local areas, uh, like, you know, like now people can send money back and forth between Europe and Nigeria because, because there's a company in Nigeria that's on Stellar and there's a company in Europe that's on Stellar. And so these companies are interoperable. And any other company that joins just becomes part of this network, right? And so it is nascent, but, but uh, but it is still useful like today, right? Yeah. Is there? Do you think there'll be ever another industry that you could ever work in that would motivate you as much as crypto? Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah. Really? <laughs> like what? 
Uh, well, I mean, I'll pro I mean, I don't know. There's AI. There's like space stuff. Uh, you know, I've been talking about mining asteroids for about 20 years now. Maybe well, part of your part of your um, your your philanthropic work is to the Machine Intelligence Research Institute. What's that about? Uh, yeah, so they're an AI safety group. So if if um, the, I, I, anyone that like looks like at the, governs robots to make sure they don't kill us all. Sort of. I mean, basically, like it. Because thank you for that. Because that's what we need. <laughs> yeah. Well, I figured I was one of the few people that would fund it, so I should probably do it. So because it is important, you know. <laughs> what do you but think? Basically, it's like yeah, if AI um, is developed and there's there's it's not developed in a, in a proper way where its interests are aligned with humanities, then it could go very very wrong, right? And so, Miri is a kind of a way to. Uh, they're thinking about that problem and like how to make sure when we ultimately build AI that it cares about the things that we care about so it won't just destroy us all either on purpose or inadvertently. So, You know, it's interesting from a, from a business side of things too. Um, I started consulting for companies in 2016, 2017 when I had gotten out and something novel happened which was very interesting because during those years uh, as you were growing Stellar, um, a lot of these companies were starting to like decide and these projects they were starting to launch on a, on a different blockchain and stellar was the only one that actually had a a way of companies to to like talk to you guys and interface and everything uh, at the time no one else was doing that there i don't even think you know ethereum foundation was a thing it was you know uh no other project was doing that why was that an important philosophy for you um, well, I mean, I think it goes back to like the, the, the original reason that we built so I mean, we wanted to build it to be used by actual people. Like it wasn't just a crypto project. It wasn't just supposed to be like, oh, here's some cool technology that, that we hope people like. It, it was, it, and it wasn't really focused at crypto people. I mean, I think, yeah. I think it ended up being a mistake not, not to like focus so much on the crypto world originally, but, but, uh, but uh, yeah, so our original goal was like, how do we make some a tool, a software tool that's useful for businesses in the world? And you have to talk to them. You have to like go and explain it to them and get them to use it. So, so for those who don't know, let's let's get into into Stellar and and get into. I want to focus a little bit on how your governance works, um, and I want to talk about the different checks and balances that you guys have uh, in place to prevent you know various entities in the ecosystem to try to have more power than than another. Sure. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I guess Stellar's consensus model is very different than Bitcoin's. It doesn't have mining, uh, so it has what we call validators, and there's like um, uh, a series of validators out there in the world. Anyone can spin up a validator, and validators choose other validators in the world that they listen to, um, and and you can show that if if these um, validators have overlap uh, to a certain degree, then then the whole network converge. And and what this means is the validators kind of control uh the 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 direction of the network so like for instance we're putting out a new um sdf so development foundation is putting out a new protocol version um and we release it to the world but the validators are the ones that are going to actually have to like uh agree to accept it and make the protocol move on to the next one so um so essentially the model is uh we we or well there's a mailing list where people propose changes to the, the code sdf is usually the one that implements them and then the rest of the world kind of votes on whether they want that. There's like a long feedback process for like what should actually, how, how the core protocol should change. So that's, that's kind of the, the way the governance works now. So, Have you had any, any times in practice where uh, things got stressed? Stress testing the network? 
uh, where the network itself got stressed? Ne- the, the, not just the, the network on, a, on an engineering side, but also like on a socioeconomic side. Oh, um, not really. I mean, there's been, I mean, we've had a lot of debate internally about like this feature or that feature, uh, but there, there hasn't been anything like the block size debate in Bitcoin where they're like the community is like largely split one side or another. I mean, there's been, um, we kind of have this dynamic fee mechanism inside uh, the protocol and, and that has had to change like once and it probably needs to change again. And, and there's some debate around that, but usually it's, usually people can kind of see there's not that much disagreement. Like yeah. people know it needs to be raised. It's just a matter of like, where does it actually ultimately land? Um, so yeah, so it's been, it's been pretty uh, smooth sailing so far. But. The block size debate is an interesting one that you brought up because it wasn't political. It was, it, well, it was political. It was very political, <laughs> but originally it wasn't meant to be political. It was supposed to be a technical problem. And let's come up with a technical solution. Right. And it came up to like, a lot of people not thinking that it even is a problem and it's, you know, diplomacy. Um, but anyways, um, what's your take on all that? Not to bring anything up, even though I just, I had some few people on the show and we, t- we talked about it, but I guess more of uh, scaling because what's interesting is the block size debate is it's still a debate. It's still going on in terms of we don't know, we think we know in the long term what will have proven to be a better scaling solution. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, uh, ultimately one of the issues there was, I mean, I wasn't following it super closely, but ultimately one of the issues seemed to be that these people just have different ideas of how they wanted the network to be. Like, like you know, they had different conceptions of, of uh, what Bitcoin should be used for and, and, like, how people should interact with it. And, and both of them were probably legitimate. It's just they just had different ideas for what they, they wanted the network to be. I mean, people kind of lump all these cryptocurrencies into one big bucket, but really... Uh, they're solving very different problems, right? And so I think one group of uh, Bitcoin people wanted to solve one problem and one group wanted to solve another, and that led to this kind of schism. But is that our fault? Because we're calling everything cryptocurrencies and digital assets, and you're right, it confuses people because everyone's like, yeah, I want to get Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, but it's not the same, and sometimes things shouldn't even be called cryptocurrencies. Right, yeah, no, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's it's definitely confusing, and and, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe there should be other terms. I mean, like kind of the there's some like common underlying like theme or like techno- technological like thing about them but but above that i mean again there's like just they're just like solving very different things and they, they really shouldn't be compared to each other so it's very interesting how that kind of all works out um what are you doing now you know hobby free time what what makes you happy um, yeah, so I still spend a ton of time at Stellar. Uh, you know, I surf when I can. Um, not, not Stellar related. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Yeah. Uh, I've been thinking about AI stuff a little bit. Yeah. Um, uh, you even, how's you know, it been during lockdown over there? Are you able to go outside now and walk around parks and things like that? Yeah, it's been, you know, for me personally, it's been fine. Uh, you know, I, I get to wear pants less, which is awesome. Uh, yeah. And, you know, hang out with the kids more. It's, it's, it's been good. So, yeah. Uh, but I mean, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, I, I, I'm scared of what the repercussions of this thing will be over, over the next like few years because it, it has devastated a lot of people's lives. So. Yeah, yeah, no, it really, it really did. And how do you think the economy will, will turn out? A lot of people are looking at like stock markets. Great. You know, world's opening back up and, but really the effects of unemployment aren't really going to be seen for many, many months to come. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I'm a little worried about it. I mean, I, you know, hopefully 
you know, hopefully we'll recover, but but it seems like it was a pretty big shock and still is, right? I mean, things are still not open here in California, so. so. I met a restaurant owner last night here in Florida. I met a, I went to get some Mexican food and I was talking to the owner and he was excited because the day he was allowed to reopen is the day he got his PPP loan. So he was able to like, he's like, I have to spend this money. Right. So he's like, you know, hiring all the people back and doing all these things. So maybe the PPP That's idea good. could have ended up being a good thing. But, you know, you know, I think, I think when it comes to economics, I think um, it all comes down to balance. And I really want to hear your opinion on this. Um, is there, if there was a system of checks and balances, you know, with the Federal Reserve and a balance, is there a place for like a printing money PPP style situation that the government came in and did, is there a place for that, for actually like, you know, emergency printing of money uh, in a system, in an ecosystem? Like for example, let's just say a cryptocurrency launched and built in a mechanism to emergency print more if something yeah. were to happen. Um, I know it's kind of I mean, weird, I never thought about it. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely, I mean, I'm not an economist, so it's like, I don't really want to either too much, but, but I mean, I think in terms of like, it's just very different from a central government printing money to like some cryptocurrency printing money. I mean, there's, there's some reasons for central government to print money. Like, there's like a lot of the economists, I mean, the majority of them think it's like the, a, a very reasonable thing for governments to do. Whereas like if only, you know, a million people are using your currency, there's no real reason to print it. Like you're not, it's, there's no macroeconomic stuff going on that, that is an excuse for that. That's a good point. It's like, yeah, no one's using this. Just print more of it to make more. Yeah. So I would be pretty skeptical of it on the cryptocurrency scale. But. Are you in touch with, with a lot of the people that were involved in, in some of the early projects like, like Ripple and everything? Uh, I mean, I'll talk to the Ripple folks really, but I mean, I, you know, every once in a while I'll run into um, some of the, the uh, I mean like Arthur, David, you know, guys like that. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I see, like, I run into, like, early Bitcoin people occasionally, and that, that's always cool. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's, a, it, it's, it's, it's awesome that most of them are still in the space, and most of them are still doing stuff. It's why do you think that is? You know, myself, I don't know why. I guess because I don't think I could do anything else. That's <laughs> all you know. Yeah. Uh, why do you um, think that is? Well, I mean, I think, I, you know, I think most of the people that got in early got in for sort of ideological, ideological reasons, and, and, and they're just... They, it, it captures their imagination and none of that has changed, right? It still seems like it's, it's this really powerful thing that can really affect the world for, for the good. And, and so that's hard to walk away from, especially when it's, you know, it's still going and it's still not done. So. Yeah, the ideology is, is definitely motivating. It's definitely a motivating factor here. And I think about it all the time. It's nice to be, you know, I'm gonna, I wanna expand on this a little bit. It's nice to be part of an industry that almost comes with like a, moral fluffy feeling you know it's like you're in an industry that you know that whatever you're doing will end up I mean I you know not to sound cliche but like make the world a better place you know so yeah very you know, other industries have that true for all of cryptocurrency I mean there's definitely a lot of uh, yeah bullshit and things make the world a better place uh yeah there's a lot of money grabbing going on but but uh yeah that but, does happen in waves though that really does happen in waves yeah and you see during the bear market um that we just went through or that we're still going who knows you know yeah maybe any price up to twenty thousand dollars will prove to be bear market down the road um yeah. but so you so you, you transitioned from the cto of stellar into chief architect what's what's the difference in that role 
Um, well, it's it's less like no one reports to me anymore, so I don't I don't have to do any management, which I, I don't really enjoy. Did you do that on purpose? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, yeah, I, I wanted to focus more on just kind of like the the strategy and like the the protocol side of things. So um, that's a lot for that reason. So yeah. And so, what's what? What are you like? Are, are you more visionary now, working on and you know on the on the project? Yeah, visionary. Um, yeah, I. Uh, yeah, just like the best term. You can come in and leave whatever you want in shorts, and he's a visionary. It's like that's what I call myself for one of my companies, Crypto IQ. I, I say I'm the chief visionary officer after Silicon Valley because it's the best role idea. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's perfect. Um, yeah. So I don't know. It's kind of a host of things. I mean, um, yeah, sort of like a grab bag of stuff. It's it's never really um, it's the same thing. So what what I do. Yeah. And um, tell us, like, what's been going on, you know, with the with the protocol and and, um, you know, this is somewhat of a timeless episode. I could release it next week or in six years from now. So I hope. <laughs> but um, <laughs> but what? No, but seriously, what you know, what are what are you excited about, you know, in 2020 on, on the protocol? What are some yeah. kind of goals that you set for yourself that you want to achieve in this year? So, I mean, the biggest thing that we're working on is is kind of above the protocol. It's it's this uh, it's this consumer wallet for people to actually use Stellar, which I'm pretty excited about. It, it it's it's essentially you can kind of think of it like a global Venmo, where it's uh, you yeah. know, allows you to do cross border payments, save money in dollars in places where they have really high inflation, things like that. So it's it should be really useful for people, and and it's got a really awesome UI and doesn't it doesn't really expose the fact that you're using crypto, which I think is cool. Um, so like, you know, your grandma or whatever should be able to use it. Anyone who can use Venmo should be able to use this thing. So. And will it like connect with local companies, you know, like M-Pesa or whatever? That's the idea. Like it, it's because it, it leverages sellers interoperability, like any financial institution can kind of get on and, and they can interoperate with the users of this wallet. And we use, uh, you know, uh, financial institutions kind of all over the world to be the, the fiat on and off for this thing. So if you're in Argentina and you want to load up Argentine pesos, you go through a partner there that does it, right? So, um, and this can allow the thing to kind of grow organically and be useful all over the planet. So I'm pretty excited about that. Um, you know, it's, it's not really a change to the protocol, but it's, it's again, it's like making this thing actually useful for people. Um, and I think, I think we really need to see that in the crypto space in general. And so, so I'm pretty excited about that thing. And then so you're talking about, okay. I was saying you're talking about building out like UIs on top of the protocol level and building it out like that. Are we talking about like multiple layers now, or is it all on that layer? Uh, so everyone has an individual account. It's non-custodial, so that, so it's not like it's not like a layer two thing. Yeah. Like that. But but it's but it's just the the UI itself just kind of obscures the fact that this is a decentralized system. Like for the user, they 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 can interact with it just like they're used to interacting with any app, which I think is yeah. Really yeah. Well, it's nice to be able to, to interact with an app that acts on the on the protocol level, you know, not custodial. That's kind of where, where I was getting at, um, yeah. because there is a difference in philosophy now. But um, and I just realized too, there there's so many differences in philosophies. Like um, we go back to to why people were using Bitcoin in the early days, and a lot of people like don't recognize or, or you know talk about that anymore. And then a lot of uh, different coins and projects are either saying like the Monero route full, you know, full anonymity. And then you have Zcash that offers partial and then you have like dash. And, um, I want to hear what, you know, where you, 
what you think about this, but um, then there are other companies. Then you have like Bitcoin that says like, no, we want to build all these different things on top of it. So you have like Shift Network that's on top of Bitcoin. You have all these yeah. different networks. Um, should the protocols be these completely free entity, you know, these free ecosystems and then you have to be, you know, the toll booths in and out are the ones that are responsible for regulations? Or do you think it should be like on the protocol level itself? Um, I, I mean, I think as, as, as like free and permissionless, you can make the core protocol, the better, um, you know, there's lots of different jurisdictions in the world and, and, yeah. and lots of different rules. And if you start to try to cram all those into the protocol, it's just going to break and, and not be very useful for anyone. So, you know, I think, I hope that these things end up getting regulated kind of at the points where money go, goes in and out and, and that, that makes the most sense and it's the best for users and the best for, for society really. Um, so, uh, so yeah, I mean, that's definitely the way we, we lean yeah. towards things. I mean, uh, on the privacy side, I mean, I think privacy is super important. I mean, it's one of the, like Bitcoin has the same privacy model as, or Stellar has the same privacy model as Bitcoin where it's, you know, it's like kind of pseudo anonymous or whatever. Um, but I think it's important to go further than that because, uh, you know, yeah. that still allows people to see all the, like, you can like kind of disentangle who, who's who, uh, at some point. Right. And, um, for this to actually be, um, really good for people and not turn into like some tool of like mass surveillance, like it needs to be more private than, than what it is currently. And we're working yeah. to get there. So. I, and I know we're going to get a little bit, I have a question and it's going to be a little bit more complicated than I'm used to doing on this show. <laughs> but when we're talking about Bitcoin, um, and the way with Bitcoin is really just, there's no Bitcoin per se. It's just unspent outputs, you know, yeah. um, there's fungibility because, because there's no unit there. It's hard to like, you know, add blacklist cause you can't really blacklist like unspent outputs or inputs or whatever. Um, is that the best model to go down? How, how do you, how do you view this? Like, is there fungibility in stellar? How do you view this? Yeah. I mean, there's the same kind of level of fungibility in stellar as there is in Bitcoin. I mean, you, you can, you know, like people can trace things and like, yeah. sort of, like these are the coins that came from here. Let's block that account or whatever. But they can do that in Bitcoin also. But uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, I think um, again, like I, I think like the the like the more uh, free this the core system is, the the better, and and you can kind of regulate it on the the outskirts, which you know that's important, but it shouldn't be done in like the core system. Yeah, I think I think I agree with you. Um, actually very much agree with you on this and you know what we're talking about now like being a visionary or a leader you know in that respect um i don't know if you made like a conscious or subconscious decision but the, you know there's probably a group of maybe less than a dozen people who have been involved in in the founding of different projects that have been very successful and i mentioned some of those people earlier um some of those people took differences of approaches in like the key man issue, right? So Satoshi had left. Then you have uh, the founders of some of these other coins and tokens. Some of them are very like, I'm the leader on Twitter, a million followers. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm just, and that has a benefit because when you have a leader, it's, you know, there's a, like a symbolic leader, of course, yeah. symbolic, because no one has a leader. It's all symbolic. It's, it's easier for direction to follow a symbolic leader. That's that argument. On the other side, having a leader, we don't even need to make the case a symbolic leader is just someone for them to arrest, you know, at the end of the day. Um, and so you've not gone the approach of, the, of any of those, 
you just said, I'm going to work and I'm going to be in, you know, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And I live my life. Right. And that's, that's the kind of the approach that I like. Did you do that consciously or subconsciously? Cause like, you're not on Twitter much. You're not, you don't really talk to media to press. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I guess it, it's just sort of the way I do things, I guess. I don't know. Like I'm, I'm not, I'm not like, uh, yeah, I, I just don't, I don't, you know, I don't want to be on Twitter. There's just nothing. Some people really thrive want. off of that. Yeah, that's, okay why they started these projects or whatever not yeah, I mean, specifically I guess, I, guess, yeah. but. I, I guess i skew way more towards like doing things than talking about things like i don't really like to talk about the thing i would rather just do the thing so um so that, that just kind of shakes out that way that that like um you know i mean people do think about when they think about seller they often think about me which i think is unfortunate i wish there was like a, a wider base there i wish i could kind of disappear like satoshi yeah. but, but uh but you can you could be like jameson Disappear. I guess, but you know. <laughs> Do you have any any like moments in your life that are unexplained? That you just unexplained? can't explain. Yeah, just like things that happen to you. Like what do you mean? Like, well, I don't know. I like asking this question every so often because only only for the guests that I feel like could have good answers. But um, sometimes people have these like moments from childhood that, like for example, uh, Catherine Coley, she said how when she was six months old, her someone threw her into the deep end of a pool, okay. and she she swam. Like at six months, and like she can never explain that, and that is something that has guided her her whole life. Right. Um, you don't have to answer. Actually, when I had asked her, we actually paused for like thirty minutes to talk about something else, and then she came back to it. Okay. So I don't think you have to answer it now, but it's something okay. you can think, think about it. It's yeah, um, yeah. But um, I mean, you know, here we are. It's it's we're getting into the summer seasons. Um, it's you know, crypto spring or crypto summer or whatever. Um, what do you think the overall mood is uh, on people right now in our uh, space? Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know that I have a great pulse on it, but it, but it seems like things are upbeat, you know, like things like, uh, you know, the, the happening just happened. And uh, so, like, I mean. Were uh, you following the happening? What, how did you think it would go out, it would play out same way you did? Uh, yeah, I wasn't really following it. Yeah, I mean, it. It, the one before people could meet in person, so there was like a party and stuff. So that was more fun. This is like I don't know what can you really do other than yeah, online. <laughs> so um, yeah, but uh, yeah, I mean it seems like um, yeah, I mean it seems like a lot of like kind of the nonsense has shuck out a little bit. Uh, you know, I think people are still uh, are making progress on things, and it, it seems like cautiously optimistic to me. So what I, how I would say the mood is yeah. But I don't know that I have the greatest pulse. So, but, okay, so you don't, so not internally in Bitcoin, but, you know, you're interfacing with some of these large corporations like IBM and, and whatever. What do they think crypto is? Do they think, you know, I'm not generalizing here, yeah. um, but what do they think crypto is all about? Do they think it's still money? Or are they looking at more blockchain-y? I'm trying to get an insight into, like, what's going to be the buzzwords of 2020, 2021. Yeah, I mean, definitely the ones that we talk to uh, like it because for the monetary aspect, right? They like it for payments. Um, yeah. Anyone who wants to just use it for blockchain, like we, we don't spend time with because it doesn't really make sense. So Like Long Island Ice Tea. Yeah. <laughs> well, what's the perfect type of company that you would love to, to approach you guys? Because, you know, this, this show has a lot of listeners. So, I mean, for us, I mean, I think the sweet spot for us is not these like really large enterprises. Uh, they just move too slow and it's too cumbersome, but, and not the smallest players, but, but someone that's like technically capable uh, and is, is wants to send money cross border and like kind of wants to connect with other things out there in the world. Like, you know, um, 
you know, someone like Venmo wanted to like make their thing global, then like Stellar is like a perfect solution for them, right? So like, um, so yeah, so these kind of like mid-sized fintech. Well, so explain how, how a company like Venmo could, could interface with Stellar to connect to like the Venmo of Bangladesh, for example. How, how would it work? So like that's what interoperability, right? If there's like, yeah. if Venmo wants to interface with M-Pesa, how would that connection happen? Yeah, so I mean, I mean, Stellar really at the end of the day, I mean, sure, it's a cryptocurrency and a blockchain, but really it's a payment standard. And so it's just like if they adopt oh. this payment standard, then anyone else who adopts this payment standard can now send money back and forth with each other, right? So it's it's a simple thing to do. And, you know, uh, you know, I'm, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, so. what are some things that are not standardized of a payment? Standard? Like what, are, what, what, are, what do these companies kind of do differently? Oh, well, I mean, there, there is no standard, right? So it's, it's like pre-internet, right? There's all these different little networks and they all have their own protocol that works within each other. Different databases but, and shit. Yeah, they don't, most of them don't even have an external facing API. And like, even if they did, like it's, it's unique to them, right? It's like the way, you know, you have to, you have to like adopt PayPal's API, right? And so, and, and it, it doesn't really handle, the, it only handles the case of sending in and out. Of yeah. You know, it's just not, no, nothing is really designed for this this thing where it's like, how do we connect all these different networks together, right? And that's what Stellar's trying to do. No one really like thought about doing that though. That was never something, um, like global finance, I don't think became a big deal until after 2009. Right, well, I mean, well, one thing, it wasn't really possible until like the, this like uh, blockchain idea. Yeah, it's true. Because you, uh, before you needed some central person and there's no central person that everyone could trust to route all the payments through. Interesting, is that something that you think down the road could be a, will be attributed to crypto is that no one even thought like frictionless globalist glo, frictionless global payments could even be possible um, until crypto came out. If anything, it showed people that it was possible. You know? Right. Yeah. No. I, absolutely. I think. I think. I think it's clear that the world is going to move this way. We did something and good in life. This, this is how. You, this is how it happens, right? This is the enabling technology. This is why it didn't happen. This is why the internet happened for information. You know, years or decades before it's happening now for money, right? Because you don't have the yeah. double spin problem with information, but you have it for money, right? Yeah. Do you, oh, I was just looking at this in my camera. It's, I use this as a, one of the first banks that I got kicked out of. I just, I keep, I keep all the swag from all the banks. I think I have all the letters they even sent right. me too. But um, do you have any old habits or old like swag or things like that from the early Bitcoin days? I have old BitInstant shirts too. Oh, really? uh, I, I have one of those like physical Bitcoin coins. Yeah, I, got when, I think Bitcoin was like a dollar and I had my kids playing with it. And at some point I was like, wait, this is like $10,000. Yeah, no, it's definitely worth a lot more. You shouldn't do that. But um, listen, Jed, thank you so much for, for taking the time and, and coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. Yeah, man. Thank you. Yeah, it's great talking to you. You too. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. New episodes of Untold Stories are released every Tuesday and Thursday at 7 a.m. EST on untoldstories.com. Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Untold Stories is produced by Jason Yanowitz, Michael E. Polito, Reed Hannaford, and Riley Silbert of BlockWorks Group. Our account executives are Gina DeFelice and Julie Muroff. Our content is written by Kathy Zolo, Ronnie Tishner, and Scott Offert. Special thanks to Wayne Dallaire from Jump Dog Audio Productions. And of course, I'm your host, Charlie Schremm. You can follow me on Twitter, at Charlie Schrem to continue the conversation. Send me some messages, feedback, or anything you want to say. And remember, please give some love to my sponsors, and I'll see you next week. Remember, strength in numbers, and information is power.